Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight for you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and to you we give you thanks. Amen. I don't know how good you are at making lists, uh, but uh, most of us probably do a fairly good job. Uh, I know a lot of people have a to-do list. I remember a number of years ago in a sermon recommending that people put together a to-don't list. All the stuff you probably shouldn't bother wasting time on. But, you know, it's not uncommon for people at this time of the year, particularly if you've got kids, to get lists of stuff you want for Christmas. And then when Christmas is over, we make another set of lists. We call them resolutions for New Year's. But, you know, I think there's another list that we often overlook. It would be a Thanksgiving Day list of all for which we're thankful now, long ago, I found a, uh, a list that several housewives put together, things that they were especially thankful for. This is number one. I'm thankful for an automatic dishwasher because they make it possible for us to get out of the kitchen before the family comes back in for their afternoon snacks. Here's number two. I'm thankful for husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house because they usually make them big enough to call in the professionals. Uh, I am thankful for children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. That's such a joy. You hate to see them go home to their own parents. I'm thankful for teenagers because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. And, of course, this one. uh, I'm thankful for smoke alarms because they let you know when the turkey's done. Now, our list might not be the same at Thanksgiving time as theirs, but I'm convinced that if we began to make a list... You know, maybe tonight, so you'd have it ready for tomorrow and share around the table. We'd find that we have, a, we have much more for which to be thankful for than just our material blessings. Like you, I'm sure my list would include a lot of major things in life. I mean, I, I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful that I'm still alive. I'm, I'm thankful for my family, my friends. I've, and in spite of all of its flaws, I'm even thankful for the nation that we live in. But more than that, you know, I'm thankful for my salvation, which... You know, Jesus won for us on the cross. I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for the mercy that God showers on me each and every day. And with Jesus, it just seems like we just have so much for which to celebrate on Thanksgiving, though often he gets kind of put on the back burner. But has it ever occurred that no Americans were probably more underprivileged than that handful of people that got off the Mayflower at Plymouth Rock who actually started the custom of setting aside a day of Thanksgiving. I mean, these people had no homes. They had no government agency to help them. They had no means of transportation other than their legs. Uh, their only food either got, came out of the ocean or out of the forest, and they had to get it for themselves. Uh, they had no money. They had no Walmart. They had no Kmart. They had no Lowe's. They had none of the big box stores. They did probably even have a Black Friday, for heaven's sakes. Actually, they had no money and no place to spend it. Uh, They had no amusements except for what they made themselves, no television, no Internet, for heaven's sakes, no cell phones, no Internet, no television, no means of communication with their relatives back in England, and they did not have Social Security, Medicare, or Obamacare. But anyone who dared call that group of people underprivileged would probably have ended up, you know, in the stocks out in the middle. Uh, For they did have four 
I think of the greatest human assets when you think about initiative, courage, willingness to work, and a boundless faith in their God. I mean, that's the one thing. And I, I used to teach American history back in high school. Our forefathers had a boundless faith in God. And it almost sounds strange today. In a time when powerful forces are at work, it seems, in our very own nation, to strip us of every reminder of that foundation of our nation, which was built upon the conviction that we were one nation under God. And by the way, that's the way it is in the Pledge of Allegiance. It is not one nation, comma, under God. It is one nation under God, period. You probably know the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I thought I put that in here, but I guess I didn't. Uh, Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And it ends up with these words, with this firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, Thanksgiving Day is a kind of an unusual holiday when you think about it. It does not really commemorate any battle. Uh, it doesn't commemorate any birthday or any anniversary. It's just simply a day set aside to express our nation's thanks to our nation's God. I don't know if you know even who started it. It started back in 1789 by George Washington. Let me read you a little bit of his proclamation. He said, By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress, I hope you heard that, both houses of Congress actually agreed on this, have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. <clears throat> so tomorrow, our nation, one more time, hopefully will pause at least for a while to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. I hope you do. And one would assume that just because of uh, the example of our forefathers and because today we have so much that we would be an extremely thankful group of people. But all too often it's quite the opposite. It's like the more we get, the less thankful we somehow become, the less mindful of God we are and the more we want. And I think that's one of the reasons why God put Psalm 100 uh, in the Bible, because it, it kind of changes our attitude to remind us of the need to be thankful and to maintain an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> now, originally, this psalm was written for the people of Israel. God said, when you come to the promised land, settle down in your nice houses, you got plenty to eat, don't forget me. I led you, I led you out of the wilderness, I brought you into a land flowing with milk and honey. But it didn't take them very long, as you all know, if you read your scriptures, to realize that the people of Israel needed a reminder. In fact, they needed several reminders. In fact, they needed reminders again and again and again. And I'm afraid that we do, too. Kind of like my grandpa used to tell me, it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beaten. And I was like 18 before I figured out I was that horse. <clears throat> 
Well, maybe God had us in mind also, because if you remember this psalm, did you notice to whom it was addressed? The very first verse of Psalm 100 says, all the earth. And the last verse says it includes all generations. It means those of us who are gathered here at St. Mark's in Mineral Wells. See, the message of Thanksgiving is so deep and wide, it applies to every person in life, at every stage of life. And it's sad, though, I don't know if you know this, that we are the only country in the world, with the exception of two other countries, that celebrate Thanksgiving Day. Anybody know what the other two countries are that celebrate Thanksgiving? Canada. And you're right, the Philippines. That's it. I wonder how the world would change if suddenly every nation would stop and observe Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I think there's something about giving thanks together uh, to God that kind of breaks down barriers between people, brings about a unity, uh, much like kind of what occurred when the Berlin Wall, you know, a number of years ago began to crumble and fall. I also think that there's a real danger in this season uh, determining our thanksgiving by, on the basis of how, mu- of how much we have. You know, do I have enough turkey, for example, to gorge myself sufficiently? Is my money in the bank actually secure? Am I healthy? Um, you know, and we let these things determine whether we are or aren't thankful. Now, the psalmist says all of these things could change any time. They could drift away. They could burn up. Someone may steal it. The only thing we have for sure is our relationship with the Lord, and that's what Psalm 100 is all about. And as you go back through Psalm 100 again, in verse 1, you find the name of the Lord. In verse 2, you find the name of the Lord. In verse 3, you find the name of the Lord. In verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And in the last verse, you find the name of the Lord. So the basis of all of our thanksgiving is what? The Lord. Now, you probably have heard of Alex Haley. He was the author of Roots. He had a very unusual picture uh, hanging on his office wall. I hope you can see that picture. Uh, It's a picture of a turtle on a fence post. And he was asked quite often, uh, why is that there? And he answered, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and think that they are wonderful and begin to feel proud of myself, I look at that turtle on top of the fence post and remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had help. See, that's kind of the basis of our thankfulness, to remember that we got here, not on our own, but we got here with the help of God and that he is the provider of every blessing that you and I have. So let me give you just five commands that just kind of roll through this particular psalm. And here's command number one. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. When was the last time you shouted in church? You know, mostly, you know, Lutherans are very good at that. Occasionally they'll smile loudly. Uh, but shouting is not part of uh, Lutheran tradition. Uh, now, if you actually look at the original Hebrew, what it says here, it means shout with the force of a trumpet blast. Have you ever heard a trumpet blast? I mean, it's a shout of joy uh, that comes from the very depths of your being. I remember a, a number of years ago, on the first Easter, I was at a church, <coughs> and I came out and I said, I stood in front of the congregation, Christ the Lord is risen today! 
And the people responded, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And I, I said, what? I said, let's try that again. Christ the Lord is risen indeed. And they went, oh, he's risen indeed. You know, hallelujah. I said, yeah. I, honestly, I, I told about 800 people, if this is all the more excited you are on Easter Sunday, somebody just opened the doors, let them out, locked the doors, turned off the lights. I mean, are we not the least bit enthusiastic about our God? Now, I'm not saying we need to run around in circles and shout and scream and everything, you know, but, yeah, it would be a pretty good deal. I mean, a shout of joy from the depth of your being. Maybe God actually solved a problem in your life recently. Uh, maybe he's given you the direction you've been praying for a long time. Maybe he's actually provided you with a blessing and you realize that it actually came from God. So from the depth of your being, you proclaim your praise. Then that connect, this connection, not long ago, I was reading about a medical missionary who uh, spent many years in India where people in this one particular area were suffering from a progressive form of blindness. Uh, people were born with healthy vision, but there was something in that area that caused the people to lose their sight as they got older. But this missionary had developed a treatment which would stop progressive blindness. So the people from all these surrounding villages came to him and he performed this treatment and they, they would leave realizing that they would have become completely blind, but because of him, their sight had been saved. Now, he said in his book that they never, ever said thank you. Why? Because they didn't have a phrase for that in their dialect. Instead, they would say to him, I will tell your name to others. See, wherever they went, they would tell the name of the missionary that cured their blindness. They had received something so wonderful that they eagerly went around and told people. And that's kind of what the psalmist is saying. Suddenly you realize that God has been so good to you that you just can't keep it inside anymore. From, from the depths of your being, you shout out to the Lord, you, you tell his name every chance you get. My wife gives me a kind of a hard time because every day about 9.30 I find uh, not really an excuse to get out of the house. She told her mother the other day, well, he just goes out and blows a little steam off. He likes to get away from everything. Actually, I go to one of about four different coffee shops. And every time I go there, I take a divine plan with me in my pocket. It's the plan of salvation. I probably have had them here before. I've had them in Bible class. What I'm looking for is somebody that I might be able to do what? Tell the name of Jesus. Now, some days I walk in and there's nobody there. Uh, some days I actually see people I know. And there are some days, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a man who was studying for his, I think it was his lieutenant's exam for the North Richland Hills Fire Department. Now, I thought for a minute he was studying his Bible. Because I said, you doing Bible study or what? He goes, no, no, sir. Uh, lieutenant's exam or captain's exam. And I said, wow. I said, how's that going? He says, oh, God, help me. <laughs> I said, you know, <laughs> can I tell you how that works? He goes, what? You know something about the fire department? I said, well, I know somebody who puts out a lot of fires. And I said, uh, I've got something here. I said, can I show you something real quick? And he said, yeah, sure. I said, you mind if I sit down for a minute? He said, yeah, I guess. 
So I took out my thing and I explained to him, this is God without beginning, without end. He's pure and holy. God is always that. I went through the whole thing. And he goes, wow, that's really cool. I said, are you a believer? And he says, well, I don't go to church. I said, I didn't ask that question. Because I know a lot of people go to church that aren't believers. <laughs> he says, well, yeah, I guess I would call myself a believer. I said, so you've accepted Christ as your Savior? Uh, well, not so that you would, anybody would know. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. I don't know if he just never told anybody or if he just didn't know how to put a word. And, and uh, I said, you know, would, would you like this? And he goes, well, that's kind of cool. He says, but I said, you could use it to tell somebody else. He said, I don't know if I could do it. Well, I flipped it over. He said, we got it all written out on the back for you. He thought that was really cool. Now, I've seen him about three times since. And about the third time, he actually asked me what I did for a living. He had never, ever thought about it. And I said, well, kind of depends on the day. And I said, uh, right now, I'm kind of a, an interim pastor. He said, man, I thought pastor was written all over you. And uh, he says, but thanks a lot for telling me about Jesus. He says, I've been, I've been thinking more about it. That's what we need to do. I mean, you're thankful? Tell somebody about it. Here's command number two. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, it does not say serve the church with gladness. It does not say serve the pastor with gladness. It does not say serve the board of elders with gladness. It doesn't say serve the organization. It just says serve the Lord. Now, the Bible teaches us that if we witness on behalf of the Lord, if we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, you know, visit the sick, go to those who are in prison, do the work of the Lord, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, guess what? We are serving the Lord. We're involved in ministry. And all ministry is, is doing something for someone else in the name of Jesus. You know, then you all know Matthew 25, 40, in as much as you have done it for unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. Now, I'm not sure that we always kind of grasp that. Maybe we serve at times out of a feeling of obligation or a fear of guilt that if we don't serve or, or maybe even because we want to draw attention to ourselves. But you know, it's kind of natural for us to desire appreciation when we do something that's worthwhile. But the psalmist says, in whatever you do, serve who? The Lord with gladness. Now here's command number three. Come before him with joyful songs. Wow. You know, Psalm 98, just a couple back. Uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that don't bother singing in church. And sometimes I notice them, sometimes I don't. My second church was well over 3,000. And our church would seat about 1,100 people, and we had like four services on Sunday. And I happened to sit in the place where I looked, it just seemed like maybe only half the people were singing. The rest were just kind of like this. I don't know what they were doing, humming along or singing inwardly or whatever. And I just felt the Spirit of the Lord urge me to say something. And I said, you know... When it comes to singing, a lot of people don't want to sing. They, they say, oh, i got no voice. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say make a joyful noise. It didn't say you have to be able to carry a tune or be a mezzo-soprano or a basso profundo or anything like that, but just sing. And, and I said, I think the reason some people don't sing, I said, you can challenge me on this, but maybe the devil's got a hold of your vocal cords. I don't know, just a thought. 
In, in fact, maybe when we sing after a while, you ought to just try singing to see whether that's true or not. Because if it comes time to sing and you can't bring yourself to sing, hmm, boy, they sang that next song with gusto. I don't know if you noticed in the first three commands, God says, I want you to be happy. He says, shout with joy, serve with gladness, come <coughs> with joyful songs. Now, I'm not going to ask you to take a look at people around you, but do they look happy? I mean, what do they look like? Well, it, it, it says, come before him and serve him and sing with joy in your hearts. Command four. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. As many hospital calls as I've made in my time of ministry and even the times I've been in the hospital myself, I just am absolutely amazed at the human body. I mean, I've actually had both lenses replaced in my eyes. Isn't that amazing? You can do that. Laser out an old lens and pop in a new one. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has had a hip replaced. We have knee replacements. We have, you know, we just do all kinds of stuff. You know, if there's something bothering us inside, like an appendix, they just take it out. You know, your gallbladder acts up, they take it out. Uh, you need a new heart? I just read about a, um, a Hall of Fame baseball player the other day, Rod Carew, who's waiting for a heart transplant. And they do those. You get a brand new heart. You walk around. It's amazing that God took every bone and every joint and he wheeled them together with sinews and muscles and ligaments and then covered them with skin and gave us eyes that see and, and a brain that's better than any computer that's ever been made and, you know, fingers that can actually pick things up and legs that move and brains that think. I mean, God made us inside and out. If you want to read another great psalm, read Psalm 139. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And he made you the way he wanted you to be. And he also made me the way he wanted me to be. And, and I tell you, I look in the mirror sometimes, I find that an absolute mystery. I mean, someplace along the way, he had you in mind. He made you. And he's still making you, whether you know it or not. And that's important for us to realize. I mean, he's not satisfied with an unfinished product. I had a... Uh, a person tell me not long ago, they, they asked me how I'm enjoying retirement. And I said, well, when I get to it, I'll let you know. He says, well, I've known you long enough to know that you probably will never retire. And I said, well, I really don't want to. I said, I, I really think there's stuff out there that God still wants me to do. I don't know what it is, uh, but I keep searching. But there's a lot of stuff that's unfinished in this. For example, uh, God's not satisfied with your temper. He's not satisfied with the weak areas of your life where you're giving in to temptation all too often. So he, he's still making us. He's working on us in our lives. He's our maker. We're created in his image. Therefore, we give thanks to him for who we are. And then he says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, most of us would rather be shepherds than sheep. Church would never grow if that was happening because as far as I know, only sheep are capable of reproducing sheep. Shepherds do not reproduce sheep. That's why you are called to be sheep in the kingdom. But see, if we were the sheep, or if we suddenly became the shepherd, guess what? We wouldn't know where the still waters were. We wouldn't know where the green grass was. 
And every time we go searching for it, uh, we'd invariably end up in some far-off country lost. That's why he says, you be the sheep, I'll be the shepherd, I'll lead you beside still waters, green pastures, let me lead. Command number five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, in in the Old Testament part of our Bible, the temple in Jerusalem uh, symbolized the very presence of God. So whenever the people came to the temple and entered into the courtyards, the outer walls, they knew that they had come in the presence of God. Now, that temple no longer exists. But oftentimes, the places that you and I come to worship, what do we call this place? We call it a sanctuary. And that word goes back from the sanctus. It's a holy place. It kind of reminds us that God is here. But then again, God is everywhere. We build a kind of a square building at Lord of Life, and I used to remind people all the time that God did not live in a box in La Fox. I mean, God lived everywhere. I mean, he's, he's going to be with me tonight as I drive back to North Richland Hills. Uh, he is with you when you go back to work next week or go to school. He's with you when you take care of children. Uh, he's going to be with you as you gather with your family tomorrow. He's with you every moment of your life. And that's the source of our thanksgiving. But I'm kind of worried sometimes. What if God would suddenly start treating us the way we treat him? What if God met our needs to the same extent that we give him our lives? I mean, what if we never, ever saw another flower bloom because we grumbled because God sent rain? Or what if God stopped loving and caring for us because we failed to love and care for someone else? Or what if God took away his message because we just didn't really particularly care to share it with anybody else? Or what if he wouldn't bless us today because we didn't thank him yesterday? I mean, what, what if God answered our prayers the way we answered his call for service? Or what if God decided to stop leading us tomorrow because we chose not to follow him today? There's a great psalm verse that speaks to that. Psalm 110, verse 103, verse 10, it said, O Lord, help us to be thankful that you do not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So, my dear friends, I pray that uh, tomorrow, even sorry tonight, is going to be a meaningful Thanksgiving season for you and your family. I know that as our family gathers tomorrow, Uh, We will be praying and giving thanks for how God has blessed the Kolb family. But I know in our prayers we're also going to thank God for the opportunity to be with you out here at St. Mark's and ask God bless your families as well. And if I could encourage you to, read Psalm 100 again. Maybe tomorrow, even before you eat, maybe just say, can I read this psalm and remind you one more time about how great God is. And maybe remind the people around the table that if you listen to the commands given therein, your heart will overflow in thanksgiving to God. I pray that that happen in Jesus' name. Amen.